warning. What you will see in the movie Pieces cannot be revealed, cannot be described, cannot even be imagined. And you don't have to go to Texas for a chainsaw massacre. Pieces, it's exactly what you think it is. Pieces. Absolutely no one under 17 will be admitted. Welcome to Speak All Evil, the podcast you were warned about. I'm Trent, here with Kevin and Dave. Hello. 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 Follow us on Instagram at Speak All Evil Pod. I just saw a bunch of announcements for Fantastic Fest in Austin, Texas in September. The new um, Toxic Avenger is screening, mm. written and directed by Macon Blair, who we saw star in Green Room and was a producer on Green Room. I guess he's in Oppenheimer as well. He's got a role in that. Oh, really? He's in Blue Ruin? Yeah. Yeah, he's great. Stars uh, Peter Dinklage yeah. as the Toxic mm. Avenger. Yes. Wow. Also features uh, Kevin Bacon, Elijah Wood, Jane Levy. Sounds wild. Huh. I think the tra- yeah. I haven't seen the trailer. Have you seen the trailer? No, I think it just came out. I have not watched it. I saw a couple people said they saw early screenings and said that it was good, that they got it right, that it was fun mm. and worthy. That's something to look forward to. Less interesting also showing at Fantastic Fest Pet Cemetery Bloodlines. Is that the TV show? No, it's a movie. Oh, the prequel movie. It's a prequel. Yeah. yeah. Have you seen anything about that? No, I haven't. Is it? Does it look bad? Well, I I don't know. When I when I, I haven't if, seen anything on it, I haven't either. But when I hear Bloodlines, I think Hellraiser. Hellraiser. Yeah. <laughs> also, I believe there was a Day of the Dead Bloodline. Yes. It was terrible, right. terrible movie. Anytime the the franchise sequel goes to the word Bloodline. I, to me, bloodline that means... is like a gateway to space. Bloodline, and then the next sequel. Exactly. Well, no, Hellraiser bloodline is space, so they got there early. the The Pet Cemetery one is a prequel about Judd Crandall, a, young Judd Crandall. Yes. yes, exactly. Prequel exploring the mythology and universe of the previous film. Why, why are you so snippy about it? What do you What do you know about it? Like, I just, I well, I just the word bloodlines. I just know That's it's gonna it. be crap. That's enough. And I prequels. A prequel about young Judd Crandall. Come well, on, Well, I mean, it seems like it would be that, more that like... That little synopsis you just read, like in parentheses, you could just end that with, read the book. Piece of shit. All right, or, well, <laughs> it was not that. written by Stephen King. No, this is an t- entirely new story trying to explain how the Pet Cemetery started. They made just enough money off of that 2019 or yes, 2020 it, remake. It's a prequel to that movie, yeah. not the original movie. So I don't know if, if you'd have young Judd Crandall being like, hey, yuck. You know, I have this. You can't get there from here. Okay, thank you. I was gonna ask if I ever have to go. If I have to go through like rural Maine anytime, I'm always brought back to like, oh my god, I need to watch more Stephen King. I'll just do anything, like anything that's out there, just because of the the main setting. And but hopefully, you know, this won't be in space. It'll be here in Maine. Man's heart is Estonia, Lewis. <laughs> Judd Crandall, pre oh, pre Judd Crandall. Also, finally, Mike P. Nelson yes. uh, has uh, a movie at Fantastic Fest, the new VHS, VHS 85. Mike P. Nelson was our first guest ever 
director of the 2020 Wrong Turn reboot, also the domestics from 2018. So he's got a segment in the VHS 85. He was posting, very excited about it. That's going to premiere there. Also segments uh, by David Bruckner and Scott Derrickson. Yeah, let's get uh, let's get Mike back on. Yeah, yeah, that's we'll be coming back around. Is Wexler's new movie playing? Is the sacrifice, the sacrifice game? game is playing some festivals? I don't. I don't. Is it Fantastic Fest? I don't remember. I did see that out there too, though. That's played multiple festivals. I think it's already premiered. It has premiered. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. The Sacrifice Game. I'm pumped for that one. Looking for. And she I would not give up any on our. Yeah, episode. Yeah, she wouldn't talk about but, it at uh, all. But it is. I saw that is coming to Shutter. They already have a Shutter deal in place for that. Uh, and I saw that uh, I went and saw Talk to Me again finally for his okay. second run. Awesome, but I also saw that I think by now it, it it was about to the other day it was about to overtake Hereditary as the biggest A two four horror movie. Maybe nice. they'll do a Bloodlines sequel. Maybe talk <laughs> talk to me with the number like we said Bloodlines. <laughs> That's when we get off the uh, train. This week, back to basics, guys. <laughs> We need some red meat. We, we've been out there on the fringes. We've been watching uh, Euro Art House, Hard to Find, Black and White, German. I mean, uh, then we went straight to Ghost Ship last week. I feel like we need, wow. we need some red meat. We haven't even posted Ghost Ship, right? Protein. Well, by this time this comes out, it will have been last week. Oh, you're though. speaking in the future. I'm speaking. I'm sorry. <laughs> it took me a second to catch up. <laughs> we got this like primer over here. <laughs> Early 80s slasher horror, I think, is just what the doctor ordered, beginning with the 1982 film that we know as Pieces, which is on Shutter, free on Tubi. It's on all the, the ad driven sites. It's VOD, easy one to see. Uh, original title this was released uh, in Spain originally, and the original title is Mil Gritos Tiene La Noche, or The Night Has a Thousand Screams. While playing with a puzzle, a teenager is repressed by his mother, so he kills her and severs her body with an axe. Forty years later, on a university campus in Boston, a serial killer kills young women and dismembers their bodies, stealing body pieces from each student. Lieutenant Bracken makes a deal with the dean of the campus, so Agent Mary Riggs infiltrates the campus posing as a tennis teacher, and with the help of a student, they try to find the identity of the killer. I love this movie. This is a stone-cold classic, in my opinion. Classic 1982 slasher. It's really more, to me, uh, of a just particularly gruesome giallo. I think this has a little bit more in common with some of the giallo stuff than it does with just a straight 80s slasher because of the whodunit nature of this movie. You you know, in theory, you know whodunit. You know that the adult version of the kid that's in the cold open is the person doing the killing, but you don't know who that is among this cast of characters at Boston University. So the whole time you're just sort of trying to guess uh, who it is. This reminded me a lot of Nightmare, or Nightmare is uh, in a Damaged Brain. Mm-hmm. The traumatized, and this is a you know 80s cliche, the traumatized kid ends up later on doing the killing. $300,000 budget, I mean, that's pretty low, made a couple million. This movie just starts right out the gate. One of the, my favorite cold opens of all time. Right away, first thing, you got some light porn, you have violent child abuse, you have matricide, you have an axe murder by a child, you have a, a dismemberment and a posing of a corpse by a child. 
And that's just before the title card, which then comes in with that great bloody font, you know, the bleeding pieces and the dagger next to it or the butcher knife. And then all the credits are in that bleeding font. And then from there, you're right back into it. And right away, another beheading, this one by Chainsaw. That's just the first 10 minutes of this movie. It's gruesome. They used slaughterhouse organs from animals and stuff like that. This just has everything you want to me. Love this one. The font that launched a thousand hardcore bands. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so today, watching this movie with a group proved to me, or made me realize, that this is a very interesting movie. This is one that you watch much differently alone than you watch with a group. Because I've seen pieces, I just watched it a couple years ago on a rando, maybe when it hit Shutter or something, like, yeah. ooh, Pieces is on. I did, Yeah, I did too, yeah, and yeah. today, a bunch of us here at the studio watched it, and I realized that it, it's basically an episode of Mystery Science Theater 3000. There, I laughed <laughs> yeah, more yeah. today. There were more just off-the-cuff <laughs> jokes with a group of people. But when you watch it by yourself, you feel kind of icky. Like, you, you're not laughing necessarily by yourself unless you're a total psycho. But it does have all of those elements that you wanted to so desperately get back to, Trent, for the guy that coined the phrase, the cinema, you were just so tired of it. I know, it's and too much And you cinema. got us back to the basics. Yeah. For sure, a really bad movie where you have a bunch of kills that happen quite quickly. You, 85 you, minutes? You mentioned it, nine minutes and 14 seconds in. We paused it today because <laughs> yeah, I was did. like, wait a minute, someone else just got beheaded. Nine right fourteen. all right. You think it's going to be a fake out? Nope. Nope. Uh, <laughs> interspersed with a bunch of really, really bad procedural scenes. Yes. Oh, my God. So The bad. Jalo stuff is That's like being very kind. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's because this was supposed to be a made-for-TV movie called Jigsaw, and they ended up taking it. The director uh, ended up finding that story or something and saying, you know what? Uh, I'm going to give this Dick Randall. We're going to turn this into a slasher. So like what happened in this era of 80s film, so many movies were just taken and they're like, you know what we could do? Every five minutes, we'll throw in just absolute gratuitous gore and some. we'll try to get some inventive kill. Right. And if we can't think of anything too creative, we'll throw some boobs in. Sometimes both. There you go. And there you go. Seven yes. or eight of those, 80-something minutes, we got ourselves a movie. But Pieces is it's quintessential. It's the classic version of that 80s movie that everyone's heard about, production troubles, yada, yada, yada. Even down to the point, just like Ghost Ship that we talked about, where the, the two arguably most famous actors in this film did not know that they were acting in a bloody gore fest. They thought they were signing on for that kind of procedural uh, mystery. So more of like a cop-driven uh, whodunit. Uh, and then they saw the movie and disowned it because they didn't realize that all of that, all of those kill scenes were going to be in it. This is honestly, I, I'm hoping in the next few years I can either catch this at a, a midnight showing at a drive-in with a bunch of friends, yeah. or this is something that that speak all evil screens we somewhere. We can show this, yeah, because yeah. this is the exact kind of movie that you want to watch with a bunch of people and just make fun of it while you do kind of cringe. Um, and we can get into it. There's some thematic things here. But uh, th this was fun. Thank you, Trent. Thanks for uh, enlightening me. Jigsaw is a way better title even than Pieces. Both alternate I titles yeah. are way better. Yeah. I love this movie. But this movie, for me, is in the so bad it's good category. <laughs> it, it is. Yeah. Um, there's some glaring <laughs> things about it that just take it over the top for like what we even accept with Giallo. Like, Giallo movies have some pretty questionable 
procedural mumbo jumbo yes. people, you know. This has the most suspenseful tennis open I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> I mean, these two are just volleying the ball back and forth, barely getting two or three hits. <laughs> and there's this massive crowd watching and cheering, and it's all for the, you know, it's the championships. Uh, I thought that was really hilarious. And the other part that put it over that, that next step to so bad it's good was the that's my kung fu professor. <laughs> it's so good. So, uh, spoiler, a woman is jumped randomly by a guy who just starts, he comes out of nowhere, just starts doing kung fu at her, and she kicks him in the nuts. People pass out, like, from everything. They're unconscious in this movie. Constantly, anything happens. A woman gets a net put over her head in the swimming pool for 30 seconds. I'm being generous. If that, yeah. And she's unconscious for like the next 10 minutes. Uh, it's crazy. But so he rolls up, does the kung fu, and she kicks him. Her boyfriend or whatever rolls up, and he just goes, oh, that's my kung fu professor. <laughs> and he runs off. And I might have to say what he said because it's impossible to not sound R racist. It's a very oh. Uh, then he stereotypical... gives the kung fu professor, which is funny that it's a professor and not an instructor. Professor, yes, kung, right? fu kung, professor. kung fu professor, sensei. I mean, like what? Yeah, and then he and then that Unofficial. character immediately goes into the most racist stereotype. There's also this thing that we didn't look into too much, but I suspect that there was there's Spanish dub oh yeah there's english over spanish dub with the lips moving and then there's just also bad voiceovers yes but in english, english over english english over english <laughs> poorly done yes. and you'll notice the actors that are in the spanish scenes are never in the same scenes with the people speaking english they're procedural guys they're just kind of chopped in and here at like the swimming pool they show up after all these guys leave right and then they're there. Right. <laughs> but they're never there at the same time. That stuff made it really campy. Like Kevin was saying, like watching it with a group of people hit way different um, because we cheered at, at different spots. And you, you get so the gratuitous kills are such a payoff. Yeah. Because of some of the, the stuff you've gone through up <laughs> to that point. I'd like to shout out Willard. Yes. He's Bluto from the live action Popeye. Right. Robert Alden's With our Pop, homie Robin which Williams. Which I can't believe is, was 1980. Yeah, that was that's right before wild. this. So he went from Popeye to this. Quite <laughs> Wow. <laughs> Quite possibly the best side eye I have ever seen. Yes. In All any he does movie. is do this crazy side eye. It's, it's so weird. And he had well, a similar thing to Tiny Tim in Blood Harvest, is he was kind of like the distraction. Yes. Yes. Oh, good call. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? That that stuff was campy too to me because he was just there with a chainsaw and then someone's <laughs> head the got cut off like right there, r inches away from where he was <laughs> using a chainsaw to trim the shrubs. Totally unnecessary to use a chainsaw. <laughs> and I, he's just like hacking pieces randomly off. Of, like he's it, he's just you know the police kept taking the <laughs> chainsaw in for evidence. And he would we, pop up in the next scene with another yellow we chainsaw. We mentioned that the killer has like a whole collection of the same yellow chainsaw. <laughs> and when he like busts through the door to get the girl, was she pees herself? Yeah. She actually peed herself because it was an actual that chainsaw was, yes. going through the door and all that. Very shining, I thought that scene. Yeah, it was. Obviously shining. And another movie that I would think was later than this, but was earlier than this. But there was like blood 
on the door already. <laughs> no, those are just chainsaw marks. <laughs> okay, chainsaw marks. It, it was just chainsaw marks. oil, chainsaw that, oil that, splatter. That maybe? was a legitimately scary scene, though. It was when she scene. got into the, yeah. the stall or whatever, that is that is a legit horror scene. Yeah. Uh, we're to, we're gonna, the next movie we're going to talk about, there's a, a supposedly iconic scene in that movie. I think that this stall one is it's completely underrated for it's a just great like a scene. standalone scene. Uh, it's a great yeah. scene, although I just I think it's so it's so shining, and it's also a little Texas chain. I mean, it's a chainsaw, so I guess a lot of this, <laughs> a lot of this reminiscent. Big reach of, there, you're digging deep. Yeah, well, that's Trent. in the um, that's in the trailer. You don't have to go to Texas for a chainsaw massacre. You know the story behind the kung fu instructor? No. Oh, the uh, the co-writer of this and producer, Dick Randall, who wrote like tons of genre films, tons of horror and, and all, all kinds of genre films. Porn. Yeah. Uh, he was at this. This was filmed mostly in Madrid. They did some shots in Boston, but he was at the same time they were filming this. He was making kung fu movies in Rome and he had a Bruce Lee impersonator named Bruce Lee, but L.E. just one E. And so he just had him come by and do that scene for no reason. Yeah. <laughs> You can tell. Maybe he owed him a favor. <laughs> I don't know. That was the least shocking thing I read about this movie. Like, I, I can just see all the people that are on the set of this movie rolling their eyes, being like, what are we doing tomorrow? Like, some kung fu guy's coming? Yeah. I don't know. Bruce yeah, Lee. Guess. Bruce it's, Lee? Well, no, like, no. Every, well it's, just, it's just like three of them. So everyone's like, we have the day off tomorrow. Why? I guess Bruce Lee's coming. They're probably like, whoa. I wondered if um, we talked about Piggy not long ago, another Spanish horror movie. Piggy has almost the exact same pool attack scene with the net over the head. Remember that extended right. sequence in Piggy? I wondered if the filmmaker on that movie was influenced by this scene in pieces where he just attacks her with the net for a while, it, an attack that you'd think would be pretty easy to get away from, but in both movies, the, it's not. This really sticks the landing for me. Yeah. There was a point, it's some of the procedural stuff, I was out. I was kind of like, oh God, it's get so this over bad. with. It's so bad. But, at the end, it is so, so good. Uh, and Kevin was like, don't take your eyes off the screen, because I thought it was over at that one point. Yeah. Oh, man. The, oh, the final shot. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. Ball popping. Have we ever seen a testicle pop before? I've seen one in real life pop. <laughs> a skater on a, on a spine ramp at the skate park. Uh, unraveled his testicles. I guess that's what happens inside there. They unravel. And you saw it? I did. And it was hanging down? A hanging testicle? It was all the ramp outside his shorts. Wow. Wow. Well, I don't think we've seen anyone get their testicle grabbed and just popped like a Like, like an a eyeball in yeah. an eyeball, yeah. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> that's so good. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> you know, I thought one strength of this movie, we talked about the procedural aspect and I think in a lot of the Jalo movies and even some of the American slashers, that aspect gets so bogged down and convoluted and there's all these side plots and red herrings and different characters in and out. And you're kind of like, what? It's kind of hard to follow. And a lot of it doesn't end up mattering in the end. This movie, I thought, at least very straight ahead. Nothing confusing happens in this movie at all. What? Yeah, I, I, I was really confused. Everything about this is confusing. I thought this was the easiest to follow well, Jalo ever. Uh, they're like suspects that should be in custody that, that like inexplicably yeah, aren't. Like and... Willard, he just like disappears oh, while they, he's there like attacking a cop, and then he's just gone. Well, they clear him. They, say, they, like, they hold him later on. They say, we we got to let him go. We don't have anything on him. 15 minutes later, after you've already seen Willard, just not in And you're like, You can't on? explain oh, this one away. We sure. are fresh off, okay, of, okay, off no, of viewing I'll, of this I'll give movie. you lots of continuity problems, but plot-wise, there's, there's nothing... There's nothing complicated plot-wise. Well, if you want to like start at A and 
and then talk about A and Z, yeah. Yeah. But all the letters in between. <laughs> I felt like there was. It starts with A and ends with Z. It was, the seemed, rest of the letters are not in order. It seemed pieced together to me, oh. which is ironic because of the title. Also, the next movie well, I thought was too dark, and it actually uh, goes with the title as well. It's puzzling. But, yeah, exactly. I, I feel like someone had an idea if they're like, oh, yeah, killer. And then he puts the puzzle pieces together as he kills the people. Oh. And then they then they thought of like all the little gags. Well, speaking of that, I had no idea what the hell the broken mirror scene was supposed to be. There's a there's a broken mirror in the cold open. But then the next scene after the cold open, the student is on the skateboard going down the street and some movers are moving a oh, giant. Yeah piece of glass a big mirror and she smashes into it oh and that's what sets him that's off that is supposed to be the triggering oh. event uh, but i think see i thought it... the only callback was the waterbed and that was like that was the cinema yes the I way agree. that they set up the waterbed with <laughs> dave i believe you uh you have the quote and then they bring the waterbed back yeah that's yeah. some really deep really professional writing the greatest thing in the world is smoking pot and having sex on a waterbed at the same time. And then guess what? The waterbed comes back. Great kill, too. Great kill with the worst rubber knife reveal <laughs> ever. Oh, I, liked... <laughs> <laughs> I was just liked that it was the classic through the back of the head and then sticking out through the mouth. But That's watch a great kill. right when he goes down for that. The angle isn't right or anything. Oh, the, the knife actually <laughs> oh, yeah, just bends, bends <laughs> off to the left. Yeah. And then it cuts to the scene where it's already through, through the mouth. mouth. It's amazing. Yeah, we watched it twice, and it definitely uh, is a... Um, I loved the resolution of that stall, the bathroom stall scene that you were talking about, Kevin, with a chainsaw through the door. Then later it cuts back to that victim, and she's just been sawed in completely in two at, at the waist and she's just a stump a, a stump and then there's all these organs that were real you know butcher shop organs really gross really effective great shot this reminded me a little bit of one of my favorite movies night of the demon and it's probably because of the tv made, made for, for tv, TV aspect. kind of aspect yeah well that, but, they did the same thing with that didn't they, and they, they made chopped a, in scenes with yeah gore. they reshot the the or or added the kill scenes. Yeah, which I think makes for interesting movies. And and like, I enjoyed this, but it was not, I didn't find it to be linear and very, I thought it was kind of like chopped together. And uh, that's the same thing with Night of the Demon, though. I love that movie. That's one right. of my favorites. And I accept that from this era, but I like pointing out that <laughs> it's so fucked up. The one thing that, about the procedural that I thought was funniest is that the university and the police department is just keeping two murders secret. Two random murders w with a chainsaw. They're just keeping it secret, trying to solve it themselves. Like, even the Boston Globe shows up, and they both just deny any knowledge of these murders that are happening on campus. So the detective says, this, ah, they, these rumors pop up every couple of months on campus. No big deal, you know? Oh, it's pretty legendarily 80s. I mean, we talked about it, like a robicide and stuff like that. So many 80s movies happen in one setting where that setting should immediately be shut down and covered in caution tape, right. but it's just open for business. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> Anybody notice the um, Friday the 13th poster in Ooh. Kendall's bedroom? When, oh, he gets up from, when he gets up from having sex, there's one scene with it right before it shows his dick. Big dick scene in this. I was probably focused too much on the yeah, dick. Yeah, you might have been looking at the dick, but there's Friday the 13th poster. We haven't seen the poster Easter egg in a while. And speaking of dicks, that scene in the darkened dance studio when the killer goes after the girl who's who's the last one in the dance studio, 
there's that long uh, shadow shot of the killer with the chainsaw exactly at dick level. <laughs> and so the chainsaw is just sticking out like this giant erect penis as he walks you know, along the uh, wall of the studio. Subtle, you know, very subtle. One of the things that happened from the original Spanish release to getting it ready, quote unquote ready, for <laughs> an American release is the music. But I was like, why are there eight people listed? Like, like a lot of times, you know, I want to know who did the cinematography, who did the, you know, all of that fun stuff. And, and I was like, eight people. And apparently there's an amazing Spanish soundtrack done by one composer. Yeah. And then when they brought it to the States, they pulled a bunch of stock. Yeah, it was like library music. Library yeah. music. Some of yeah. it by by very good composers that did work with like Fulci and stuff like that. Some of it really, really like uh, like bad on like the mutilator level. <laughs> I liked it. Uh, yeah, it was I liked really, it. really bad. Although I, I will it. say, unlike a Robicide, this movie had the right amount of exercise, class, and music uh, segments. Definitely, just enough. I liked the soundtrack a lot. I thought there were some oh, moments that, where it really that first moment though. <laughs> There's that first the skateboard part where is, there's a That's probably wheel. why we didn't notice the mirror scene is the skateboard scene in the beginning is where the first really, really bad, clearly like phoned-in music comes in. And I, honky-tonk, boogie-woogie yeah, stuff? I, I mean, you say bad. I thought it was... Really? <laughs> I don't like that really jovial music in horror movies. Like, <laughs> I thought the tone of the lead detective is so all over the place and so inappropriate. Like one minute he's... Deadly serious, got murders on his hands. The next minute, he's smiling widely and joking. He's like jovial and it's just bad. Christopher George, legendary actor. That's the detective. Yes. And then the lieutenant. And then uh, his wife, Linda Day, she is Mary, the quote unquote professional tennis player that like goes undercover. Oh, that's his real life. They're married in, in real right, life. Right, right, she right. She said they only did this because he owed some favors. <laughs> They thought that they were just doing like this yeah. mystery thriller. Right. But Ten little Indians. They're together. obviously just like phoning in scenes from wherever they could shoot them. And then apparently a bunch of their ADR was done in a hotel room. So they did not not a whole lot of care. In fact, uh, I found this article. I'd never seen this site before, but it's crypticrock.com. They have a great, pretty quick read on this. Uh, and they talk about like the first five minutes. So the opening scene of this says Boston 1942. Right. And that's where we see Timmy putting the puzzle together and everything yes. that you already talked about. And the first five minutes alone, this is 1942, the mother is screaming for a plastic bag, which wasn't invented until 1950. She picks up a phone that wasn't invented until 1963, and the kid has a Patriots banner. That team wasn't even established until 1959. Thank so you. So five minutes in, wow. you know how much care was taken. I was, I was wondering, Kevin. I was like... I watched it, especially the second time. I was like, now this is 1942. <laughs> and I couldn't, I couldn't put my finger on any one specific thing, right. but nothing about it seemed like it was 1942. Well, you can thank cryptocrypt.com. Not, not it, it looked exactly like 1980. <laughs> My next pick for Meat Potatoes Week 
was recommended to us by our Halloween costume contest winner last year. Matt, thank you very much for the recommendation, Matt. I had never heard of the 1983 Canadian slasher whodunit called Curtains. Samantha Sherwood has worked with the well-known director Jonathan Stryker on all his major films. She naturally assumes that she's been given the title role in his latest venture, Audra. He tells her that she needs to do some background research on the part, so he arranges to have her committed to an asylum, as Audra is a former psychiatric patient. She goes along with this, not realizing that he intends to leave her there indefinitely, and auditions six young women of various professions for the part instead. She finally manages to escape and returns to the spooky old mansion where the auditions are taking place. But who's causing the disappearances of these young hopefuls? Is it Samantha? Stryker? Or is it one of the actresses willing to kill for the coveted part? Just who is the killer behind the old hag mask? I absolutely love this one. Stone cold classic, hidden gem, diamond in the rough. This is a great movie. So glad I became familiar with Curtains. This is, uh, like I said, a Canadian production director. He has some directorial credits, nothing I've really heard of, not a lot. He has more credits as a cinematographer, which makes sense because I think this is brilliantly shot. I love the way this movie is shot. There are a lot of really cool, like, zooming out shots, a lot of moving shots in this, a lot of cool angles. This stars uh, Samantha Egger as Samantha Sherwood, who we know from The Brood a couple of years before this. Mm. Um, she was also in The Exterminator. Before this, this has Lynn Griffin from Black Christmas, uh, Strange Brew. Quite a few uh, Canadian luminaries. Producer Peter Simpson produced all four Prom Night movies. I didn't even realize there were four of those. The writer, uh, Robert Guza Jr., also was a co-writer on Prom Night. Wrote a lot of General Hospital. So this has some uh, serious uh, Canadian talent behind it. And this is, again, a, a slasher whodunit where I didn't guess not that you really have a lot of clues in, in either of these movies. I didn't guess the killer in either movie this week, but you don't really have a, a lot of clues. This is another one I thought was very well paced. This movie clicks right along. And at first I was a little bit afraid of uh, too many character syndrome in this one, because right away you're introduced to all these actresses who have come to the mansion to audition. And they're all like very standard brunette, early eighties haircuts. And I was initially like, I am not going to be able to tell who is who in this movie right away? It's too much, too many, too many perms, too many 80s haircuts in this thing. But actually does a really good job of distinguishing, I thought, all the, the different actresses. And I love the, the character development in this. You have the sleazy director, Stryker, just a total sleazeball. He's like a, an, er, an early Harvey Weinstein or something. I think there's a lot of like sort of somewhat meta filmmaking commentary in this. Certainly he's playing the, um, the overbearing auteur, pretentious, but sleazy. He's just betting every actress in this movie, usually after they experience some kind of trauma at the mansion. Um, some iconic scenes in this, a number of iconic scenes. Really, really great one. Dave, you said you've been talking about this one for a while. I, yeah. I was not familiar. I went down a little rabbit hole of, well, I mean, I'm always watching 80s slashers, but there's a few that I had not seen, and in the same sitting, I watched this in Taurus Trap and Stage Fright, which is also kind of a theater kind of thing. And I love the title of this. We talked about the other movie and all the wishy-washy titles and ones that fit better or whatever. Curtains is great because it's it's like that Bugs Bunny, like old-timey gangster, like it's Clayton's. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. 
which means you're dead. You know, so I like that. But then that's also just, after the, the play on the theater. And right, the, you know, exactly. in the movie, there's curtains and there's curtains that open and close different scenes. It's a hot title. I thought it was kind of like Black Swan meets Be My Cat. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Definitely. I thought that too. <laughs> I thought there was a lot of things that they did in this where the last movie we talked about was seemed a little disjointed and everything. But I thought they took some risks in the storytelling in this that really paid off. I really like the stand up comedy like exposition that was so good right right and it was it was good and it was sad and i thought all the scenes uh, with that particular character were, were really good yeah i thought it was a little ironic that this movie is called curtains and there are some scenes that are completely you can't see anything it's just black although that might be cool in the movie theater uh, i just had a hard time even knowing what weapon they were using to kill someone with and that was my only thing, and that's a thing in the 80s slashers. There's a lot of movies that are too dark. Yeah. That's a criticism of yeah. a lot of movies. But I think this is well made. And the version that I saw, Tubi, had been uploaded from like a VHS tape. I think that's the, I think that's the only cut you're going to no, find. No, I, I rented it on Vudu. You, you can rent this on Vudu. It's Maybe on all the free sites. Load it up, and we should go to the beginning of the ice skate scene there's, and there's, see if there's a tracking thing. There isn't. I watched it twice on Voodoo. It's totally fine. There's no interesting, no issues at all. The one we watched, it was obvious, knowing how VHS works, that certain scenes had be rewound or paused, yeah, or played, yeah, slow mo, (laughs) key key scenes, yeah, exactly, (laughs) yes. And it was the it was the gore scenes, and it was the scenes uh, with boobies and stuff. Was it Tubi? It was, yep. Yeah, I think Tubi has a reputation for that. And I did same, same deal as Tubi. Yeah. But this movie has so much. They, they use a very primitive mask in a very good way. I love the mask. Both the killer uses it and other people <laughs> engage with it, and you don't know who's wearing the mask. And it, it's a really, really effective prop in a lot of like the really scary scenes, I, I feel like. Yeah, it's funny. Before I recognized Samantha Egger, I was like the brood. And I think probably because it's like a Canadian, you know, production, it looks like The Brood. And then obviously it was like, and oh, I, well, I thought, that's, um, that's... Yeah, the, the director is almost kind of like the Oliver Reed in The Brood. It's very similar. He's got those piercing eyes and he's just... And it starts in a hospital and, and right. you kind of get the vibe yeah, in the yeah. beginning before you know that uh, this is like method acting and he's a director and she's an right. actress and all that fun stuff. Like, I thought, oh, we're heading down a road of like... Uh, uh, again, like the brew, like a doctor being in, in control and, and doing some nefarious things, right. which, which the director obviously does. But yeah, this is this is a great one. I, I, I as far as like a film goes, I liked it more than pieces. I would probably watch pieces more in a, in a group <laughs> than I would curtains. But this is a cool one. The mask is very original. And used, like you said, Dave, used in a very kind of original way. Like typically when you have a mask that's that prominent in some of these 80s movies, it's it's just the killer and you are maybe trying to guess who it is or if it's Michael Myers, like Michael Myers is only wearing the mask. I liked in this one that it's kind of used as a prop just to like further push along the narrative of, of what is happening in this movie, which you mentioned, Trent, has a lot of undertones of unrealized dreams and what people are willing to do, you know, in this industry or just in general, (laughs) uh, for sure, which comes, you know, full circle right in your face uh, at the end of the film. Uh, But I also did not guess who this was. This is actually a pretty effective 
a pretty effective whodunit in terms of you don't you you do think you know they do a pretty decent job of that. Um, although it you know you are, you're also like okay if it's that obvious this is kind of stupid so it can't be that obvious so then you start guessing yeah you're pretty sure it's probably going to be one of the actresses yeah but I love the way they kind of differentiate differentiate them like the seven dwarfs or like the ninja turtles or something <laughs> yeah. like yeah. one's an ice skater and one, right. they all have like one's their particular set of skills <laughs> yeah. other yeah. than being an aspiring actress so right. I like that aspect of it as well uh, I what I will say. Like we talked about with pieces, the, the the stall scene being very iconic and I think underrated and, and not talked about as much as it said. The ice skating scene is that's the big one in this. Yeah, that's the scene that I knew. Love, uh, knew it was coming. Great I scene. think it is a little bit overrated when you actually uh, go back and watch it. It's a little mm. anticlimactic. I, uh, I feel like too. I don't uh, think so. I think a, that's an all timer. It is yeah, great. Just dog, think what would have happened well, though if she. Got dispatched of right there on the ice. I know. I like that it takes. You got I like a little the, battle on the like side it. of the thing, and no, they crawl up no, through the no. woods to get away. But, she got I mean, away. We've, we've established Trent's fear of dolls. There's a great doll aspect of the ice skating scene that is creepy, and it is kind of the first time you get like that. Uh, I think you're surprised that you get that mask in the daytime. And yeah. Like the stark. Yes. Light, like oh, that, that's that's so really good. cool as well. Yeah. I'm not saying it's not iconic. I'm just saying perhaps like a little bit. There are other scenes I think out there that are better and or just as good. But all in all, this is this has everything you need. I'm gonna disagree once again. I don't think it is as straightforward. It does feel a little choppy to me. Not nearly as much as pieces, but it is a little bit kind of all over the place. And Trenton, you mentioned that it looks great and that the director has a lot of cinematography credits. The cinematographer of this, Robert Painter, do you know what he's known for? Painting? <laughs> <laughs> Little Shop of Horrors. Oh. Thanks. An American Werewolf in London. Whoa. The fucking Michael Jackson thriller video. Oh, wow. And Jeez. a bunch of other stuff. Whoa. And then you mentioned all the prom night connections. The music in this done by Paul Zaza. We talked him to death. Go He's listen to the prom night episode. Yeah. We really dig into Paul Zaza. But yeah, yeah he gets into this one uh, as well. I wouldn't say necessarily that it looks great, but it's shot great. I like I like the way it's shot. It's a little fuzzy, you know, it's but, lower but you know budget what? If 80s. you go back and watch Black Christmas, another just absolutely seminal slasher, yeah. same problem. Yeah, very dark. Yeah. It's really kind of like, it's not very well lit. Yeah. This had an, another great title card font. I love the font on curtains when mm. that comes in. And then even the sea bleeds, again, to two bleeding title fonts in this. Very cool. Box office bomb here. This didn't make any money at all, right? No, this cost like four mil and it, and it, and it made like a mil. This took like three years to film, and I went through production hell. I think that the director you talked about, I believe he left, and a whole bunch of this movie was reshot, oh, really? and there were additional scenes. So this is sense. one that I think was supposed to come out in like 81-ish, and sat on a shelf, and was reworked and reworked, and had too many okay, cooks in the kitchen. Sense. Yeah, they probably dusted it off and thought, you know, all right, prom night, this, like everything else, we can make some quick money. But uh, I, I, I can see why this wouldn't necessarily stick with a mainstream audience because it has all the hallmarks of an '80s slasher, but it's actually a little bit better and more clever. Yeah, and not yeah. as gratuitous. You know, pieces is on one end of the spectrum where yeah. it's just way too ridiculous. So bad it's good, like Dave said. This one, I think, is on the other end where it's almost like a little too good for its own good doesn't kind of fall in the middle of the other films we've mentioned, like Prom Night, Tourist Trap, Stage Fright, and some of those other ones. 
Another one that really, you know, gets it done, doesn't waste any time, hour and 30 minutes, get you in, get you out. I love the pacing. And I, I thought it was, I mean, to me, maybe I'm just comparing it more to like The Nightmare and some of these other wacky ones that we've been watching that we don't even know what the hell's going on. I I was like, man, I love an easy to follow whodunit slasher. No confusion here. I know who everyone is. Uh, there's no red herring side stuff going on. Everything, everything that you see. You, you, boom, boom, boom. Everything happens for a reason. It's very economical. Every scene is there to tell you something. And if you just follow it right along, you don't really have to keep track of too much stuff going on. You you know what's happening to me, and it's just it leads you right through in a, a really economical and well-paced way, I thought. I mean, Trent's called this meat and potatoes week. You, you could also call it let's all watch some bad ADR week. Oh, man. Uh, yeah. This could yeah. also be, hey... You can watch this on a 75-inch plasma TV or your Apple Watch, and it looks the Doesn't same. Doesn't matter. <laughs> it looks the same. I thought there was some some commentary also in this about how Hollywood treats women as performers and the idea that so many actresses are discarded once they reach a certain age. I and mean, we've heard countless actresses, Academy Award-winning actresses, talk about the the lack of good roles once they reach a certain age and the sexism behind the fact that actors, male actors tend to still get the same roles as old as they want to be. And the women are all the same age that are in the roles with them. And so this movie is kind of her character. Samantha is, has literally been discarded by her director and I mean, I guess off and on lover. I mean, it's a little ambiguous, but she's been discarded. He doesn't want to use her in the movie. He thinks that she's too old. She's washed up. And when she's in the asylum, which she thinks she's researching for the role, one of her roommates, one of the first things that happens is one of her roommates gets hysterical one night and they take her away. And when she comes back, she's had a lobotomy and she's just laying on the bed with her head bandaged like a zombie. And Samantha's just sitting there looking at her as kind of like, this is what they want me to do. They want me to just be lobotomized and stay home and, you know, go be. And th- and that's kind of the speech that she gives. I thought it was ironic. She gives that speech at the end of the comedian. Forget about all this. Just go fall in love. Meet a man. Spend a life together. Or stay home. Don't worry yourself with all this crazy Hollywood stuff. I mean, when you're in an asylum, is it called a roommate? It was yeah, yeah. yeah I know. Well, she had yeah, a few. Was, she yeah. had a number of roommates. It was her camp. Yeah, it was her ward mate. It's kind of cute. <laughs> no, you mean you nailed it with the Weinstein thing. I was shocked when I was like, well, I was waiting for this to say like produced by the Weinstein brothers. And he just he beds almost every actress right in a row it, and, after and they have some traumatic experience. Af- after he massively gaslights them too, and her going into the asylum under the guise of method acting is the ultimate portrayal of gaslighting yeah right I mean, yeah that exactly is massive yeah. like no, no 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 you're not crazy like wait no you are crazy john and that vernon, guy yeah that john vernon yeah go john vernon who plays striker best known as um the dean in animal house and he's great he's also in killer clowns from outer space he's in a right. ton of stuff he's one of these guys that can ha- he acts almost the same in every single movie and it works in a horror movie and a comedy Yes, yes. He's like the fiver rip torn. Dave, you mentioned the the stand-up scene, but I really that was really effective to me that part of the plot is revealed by one of the one of the auditioners is a stand-up comedian and she reveals the plot setup in her act to the audience live as like part of her bit. She's doing this whole bit about how she wants to be an actress and they're all laughing at her and she gives you the plot in such a cool way 
to set it up so that you don't have some boring explainy thing actually just makes a fun scene out of it. Danger. If you listen to the show, you know that sound means it's spoiler time. If you have not seen Curtains and you want to watch Curtains without having the end spoiled, you should turn off the podcast now. I thought her performance was cool and subtle and there's always in these 80s movies there's the dynamic of like the funny guy or the funny girl yeah and that was established with her that was her thing she was a stand-up comedian and it's like laid out right for you the whole time when she's doing her stand-up thing she's like right uh, sounds like a lot of fun six girls in one place auditioning <laughs> for the same role if you like blood baths you know oh yeah. right yes and that's like her oh. like her comedy things like all you know sarcastic yeah, like yeah. that and I didn't pick that's what up I thought you that. were getting at like she no, doesn't just give away the plot that. of the movie she yeah. basically tells you yeah, right and and then uh, you're kind of drawn you realize how captivated her, her performance has been the whole time when she's revealed as the killer you're like oh well that's kind of the one that I was like yeah you like her the most or they re- yeah. reveal a, her personality more than she's the, the most ones. disarming it's a really good performance because she's the most disarming, but at the same time, if you read between the lines, uh, she's telling you, I'm, I'm, I'm killing all you bitches. I also really appreciate the fact that you have like the double switch at the end. So the killer that I mentioned That's that great. you think you know the yes. entire time because, you know, she, the, the actress, Samantha Eggers' character, who I think is also Samantha in the movie. Also Samantha, yeah. Escapes the asylum that, that he tucked her away in. And you're, you're like, okay, it's her. And then she does end up killing two people. That's right. And she does kind of come out and say, I killed them. To yeah. the comedian, because she's the only one left. Right. And then the comedian's like, well, fuck you. I killed everyone else, and now That's I'm going to kill great, you. That's <laughs> such a great scene. You don't know what's going on. There's more than one murderer by the end of this movie. It's not yes. just the slasher. Really good. Yeah, I like that. Both of these movies, uh, I think they they have a slight lull in the middle, but... The endings are like slamming. Big, big payoff in, in both of these. And the and the thing about the other thing about the con, the comedian character, you talk about all the the early '80s slashers. They always have the jokester character, but this one is actually funny. Uh, usually, a lot of times, the jokester character is like my least favorite because they're right. they're like doing Brando or um, they're doing like Cagney, James Cagney impressions, like the oldest, lamest dad jokes from the, the the age of the writers and the producers of the movie, like stuff that wasn't even a fresh joke in the 80s, you know? But she's right. actually funny. Like, I laughed at her lines. And she's like the marvelous Miss Maisel or whatever. I thought the uh, cool thing about, one of the cool things about that iconic ice skating scene is that the, the weapon in that scene is a sickle, you know? An ice sickle. Oh wow! Oh. Icicle levels on this thing. <laughs> deep, deep for a lot of people that have tons of credits in commercials and soap operas. Very deep. What the hell was the guy Matthew about? He introduces this guy Matthew who's at the mansion. He doesn't say anything else about him. Just this is Matthew. He, he like He's has like, sex with one of the actresses, then in the gets hot super tub. drunk and rides off on a snowmobile. <laughs> yeah. I don't it's know, a hell of a role. He's like a groundskeeper or something. He's just there to be a suspect. You just see him here and there. You think right. he could be the guy. There's that very funny scene when, when all the actresses first get to the mansion and they're all at the table and Stryker isn't there. And they're all talking about like how much they want the role. And then they all start joking around like, I'd fuck for it. I'd, I'd go down on him for it, for sure. She says in her comedy thing that she 
wants to be in film so bad she <laughs> fucked the guy from Photo Mart or something. <laughs> <laughs> he was in and out in 48 hours or 24 hours, whatever. <laughs> Next week. Dave's Trash Week. <laughs> Woo! A long time coming. Street Trash on YouTube, 1980-nothing. <laughs> I think it's 87. And we have Hobo with a Shotgun, 2000-nothing. Never seen either. Very excited. You've been you've been gearing up for this Trash Week. It's trashy. Long, it's going to be real trashy. Tell your several friends. Several Trash Weeks. You're just officially naming one. Uh, knew, this was trash week. This I was knew he trash. was trash. I knew he was trash. He was always trash. He's always trash, y'all. <laughs>